0: To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports. Find advice for listening to Shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, Radio Havana, Cuba, and NHK World Radio Japan. We will begin with France 24. The United Nations Conference on Climate Change, COP27, was a major topic in the international press. There were several days with speeches by world leaders. Notably discussed was the drought in East Africa, the rising sea levels affecting small island nations, and reparation for loss and damage for countries that pollute very little. The Middle East has seen temperatures rising twice as fast as the rest of the world. Then a press review from Ukraine on the climate impact of war and military operations, France 24.
1: We can cross to the COP27 and speak to our environment editor, Valerie DeCamp.
2: Valerie, today is the second day of the COP's World Leaders Summit. Tell us more about what's on the agenda. Well, today we're going to see yet another day uh, packed with speeches as leaders continue to take to the podium to deliver their national statements. Uh, high-level discussions will also continue with at least uh, two roundtables scheduled on uh, issues relating to water security and also the impact of climate change on the most vulnerable communities. Two uh, key topics that are very important for African nations present here at COP27, and we. we. We have heard from the president of Kenya, for example, speaking about water security, describing the impacts of climate change in Africa, saying that it was a living nightmare. We know that the Horn of Africa has been suffering its worst drought in over 40 years. We have also heard from low-lying nations, for example, battling with rising sea levels. The president of Kiribati has spoken about how the country has imposed a climate emergency as uh, the country is facing rising sea levels, and so they have fresh water shortages because ocean waves continue to wash over their land. So we could also expect to see uh, some commitments, some announcements perhaps on adaptation in Africa, and that is how to help uh, countries cope with the consequences of the climate crisis. And we have seen on the margins of COP27, a report has been published showing that $2 trillion will be needed every single year by 2030 to help African countries cope with the consequences of climate breakdown. And Valerie, leaders tend to make a lot of promises at these summits, but have any concrete advances been made so far? Well, so far we have heard a lot of speeches, but we haven't seen a lot of action. And usually world leaders' summits are a moment or about setting the tone for the next two weeks of discussions when, where we may or may not see uh, concrete alliances forming between countries to help developing nations, for example, uh, battle the consequences of, of climate change and reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. But it's also important to note that some of the world's biggest emitters of greenhouse gas emissions are not present at the summit. So China, India, Australia, Canada, for example, they have all sent country delegates, but their leaders have snubbed the summit. So that is an important thing to mention as well. And we have also seen uh, little concrete action because countries essentially don't have anything new to say. They don't have any new pledges to make. So. They had been invited to revise and strengthen their climate plans before coming here to COP27. Only 29 countries have done so, and a majority of the rest, 160 countries, have simply missed the deadline. Uh, One major breakthrough to note, however, uh, since the beginning of COP27, for the first time in the history of UN climate summits, the question of loss and damage of climate reparations has made it onto the official agenda and this is a historic moment, especially for vulnerable nations, low-lying countries, island nations that have been raising this question of loss and damage for over 30 years and so this is key for them and it has been at the heart of their demands for decades uh, we are expecting uh, a speech by uh, the president the prime minister of pakistan who has been very outspoken about loss and damage and demanding that wealthy nations actually pay up and this of course coming on the heels of uh, dramatic floods that have hit the country uh, earlier this year he has put this notion of loss and damage at the heart of his position here at cop 27 we have seen in the pakistani pavilion For example, the slogan of the pavilion is, what happens in Pakistan does not stay in Pakistan, referring to the financial responsibility uh, that rich countries bear for the climate crisis. Uh, That's France 24's environment editor, Valérie Descamp, reporting uh, from the COP27 in Egypt. More than 400 million people in the Middle East face potentially devastating consequences as the region heats up. A recent study suggesting the temperatures could rise by as much as 5 degrees Celsius by the end of this century, bringing with it life-changing impacts from water scarcity to extreme heat waves. Cathy Clifford has more. In Iraq
3: this summer, the mercury soared above 50 degrees Celsius. This is a climate study found temperatures in the Middle East and Eastern Mediterranean are rising almost twice as fast as the rest of the world. Experts warn the region is on course to gain 5 degrees by the end of the century. In some countries, this would mean temperatures could exceed human endurance thresholds. Such a rapid increase has wider implications. Sandstorms, while typical in the region, have become more intense and more frequent prompting the closure of schools, businesses and the grounding of flights, costing the region's economy an estimated $13 billion a year. As the region grows hotter and drier, the UN has warned crop production could drop 30% by 2025, while the World Bank predicts the region will lose 6-14% to of its GDP by 2050 because of water scarcity. Jordan, one of the world's driest countries, was forced to double its water imports from Israel in 2021. In Egypt, farmers have had to adapt to rising sea levels, switching to crops more resistant to salt and dryness. Mass displacement of populations as coastal land is inundated will not be limited to rural areas in the Egyptian city of Alexandria, two million people, that's nearly a third of residents, could be displaced if the sea level rises by half a meter. Experts say the predicted temperature increase would compromise water and food security for the region's 400 million people, raising the risk of armed conflict.
4: We have COP27, of course, continuing in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. Nick has spotted a piece in a Ukrainian paper. Now, this is talking about the impact of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Of course, massive impact on what? On the climate itself.
5: Well, I I, I really found this absolutely fascinating. The argument here is that... Um, what you've got is a, a war in place, Ukraine, Russia. And we're, we're talking in the bulletins a lot about this this move away from dependence on Russia for fossil fuels. The Russian economy will shrink. So there's, there's some positive impact in terms of going to renewables in this in this COP27 urgency uh, that we're, we're facing. Um, but the, this particle really looks at uh, the other side of the picture, the nitty-gritty of actually having a war. Um, you've got uh, the release of unnecessary greenhouse gas emissions Um, with every missile or shot fired by Russia and Ukraine in this conflict. Secondly, you've got the destruction of towns and cities. um, That's releasing carbon from uh, physical infrastructure. Um, You've got uh, forced migration that releases carbon. You've got emissions related to future construction. So a war is um, the production of weapons, which is contaminating the habitat and so on. Just a long list of specific reasons why climate change is, is, is a result of this complex. And the standout quote for me in this article is that when Russia's war with Ukraine Concludes There needs to be an assessment of crimes against humanity, of war crimes and climate crimes. Mm. So uh, an analysis needs to be made of the direct-indirect effect.
0: Those reports and press review were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website france24.com as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. Next, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. The World Meteorological Society has published its annual report showing that the past eight years have been the warmest on record driven by record levels of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. The past eight years are on track to be the eight hottest
5: on record. That's one takeaway from the World Meteorological Organization's annual report, which has just been published. It's another stark warning for world leaders at the COP27 summit, stressing the need for less talk and more action on climate change.
4: 2022, another hot year. Indeed, the last eight years have been the warmest on record driven by record levels of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. That's a clear warning, according to the World Climate Report, and the effects are being felt everywhere. Sea levels are rising fast, and the seas themselves are getting hotter. Ice sheets and glaciers are melting, and extreme weather is multiplying around the globe. The seas have risen worldwide by about 10 millimeters in the last two years alone. By the end of 2021, worldwide ocean temperatures were at a record high. And marine heat waves are becoming more common. Ice melted from Greenland to the Alps at record levels. Glaciers in some parts of Europe lost 6% of their volume between 2021 and 2022. And polar sea ice fell to its lowest level on record. But most people experience climate change as extreme weather. Much of Europe saw rivers dry up as heat waves persisted, and also caused widespread wildfires. Meanwhile, Pakistan experienced massive flooding that killed over 1,700 people and displaced millions. Years of drought in East Africa have driven almost 20 million people to extreme food insecurity. As hurricanes lashed Cuba and the U.S. state of Florida just months ago. Too hot, too wet, too dry. The climate report says this new normal will only get worse unless governments act fast.
0: That report was from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, dw.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary, also available as podcasts. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. Venezuelan President Maduro has proposed to Colombia and Brazil a South American summit for the defense of the Amazon to try to reverse the intense destruction of the past few years. At the COP27 summit, Maduro said that there needed to be a change in the consumerist model, which has evolved climate change into the possible collapse of the entire ecosystem. African leaders pointed out that they are unable to afford the cost of adapting to the impact of the climate crisis. A group of small island nations has joined a call for a windfall tax on oil companies to compensate for induced natural disasters. Just Stop Oil protesters in England have been stopping traffic around London. The Iranian president addressed Joe Biden's comment on the need to free his country. The United Nations General Assembly again voted to end the U.S. blockade of Cuba. Cuba. Radio Havana, Cuba.
6: President Nicolas Maduro, who is in Egypt to participate in COP27, has proposed to Colombia and Brazil a South American summit for the defense of the Amazon, considered the lungs of the world. The Venezuelan leader said, quote, a proposal that we talked about with Colombian President Gustavo Pedro and that I also discussed with Brazilian President-elect Luis Inacio Lula da Silva last week is to resume the defense of the Amazon. He mentioned that the objective is the recovery of the Amazon and, quote, to reverse in a categorical manner all the processes of destruction of the Amazon, the great lungs of the world. Maduro confirmed that, quote, we have proposed to soon hold a South American summit in defense of the Amazon. The objective of this meeting is, the Venezuelan president emphasized, to reactivate the organization of the Amazon Defense Treaty. And we're going to bring concrete proposals to that humanity, and the powerful governments of the world commit themselves to finance the recovery of the Amazon. The president of Venezuela, Nicolas Maduro, has urged during his speech at the COP27 summit on climate change the changing of the consumerist model in a way that allows stopping the destruction of the Amazon and the preserving of life on the planet. The Venezuelan head of state began his speech at the conclave by warning that, quote, the climate crisis is an unavoidable reality that can only be confronted with concrete, urgent and immediate action. The Venezuelan president pointed out that, quote, the dimension of this crisis should not take us by surprise. Since the beginning of the environmental diplomacy, we have had sufficient data to declare an early emergency and act accordingly. Maduro emphasized that, quote, every hour, every month, every year of inaction, of hesitation, of indolence, translates today into destroyed ecosystems extinct species and the deterioration of the planet's living conditions. Accordingly, he pointed out that yesterday we were threatened by climate change, but today it is the absolute collapse of the ecosystem that stands before us as a fatal destiny. The most current projections say that if we continue at this self-destructive pace in 30 or 40 years, this planet will be uninhabitable. At the same time, the Venezuelan president pointed out that, quote, existence as we knew it has been forever altered to the detriment of all living species on the planet, while he blamed savage and predatory capitalism for the possible extinction of human life. At the United Nations Climate Summit at Sham El Sheikh, Egypt, several leaders of the African Union said that their countries can't afford the cost of adapting to the impact of climate crisis. In their remarks at COP27, they urged richer nations to fulfill their promise of paying climate reparations for disproportionately fueling the catastrophe. This comes as a new report finds the United States is falling short of contributing its fair share to the UN-backed climate financial goal. The analysis by the UK-based climate news source Carbon Brief found that the US should be paying nearly $40 billion annually towards the United Nations' $100 billion climate finance target. Instead, the United States has paid less than $8 billion. A group of small island nations has joined calls for a windfall tax on oil companies to compensate developing countries for damage caused by climate change-induced natural disasters. Developing nations have pressed their case at the United Nations COP27 climate summit in Egypt for the creation of a loss and damage fund, arguing that rich nations are to blame for the biggest share of greenhouse gas emissions. The host of the COP27 climate talks launched a 30-point plan to help the world's poorest communities withstand the impact of global warming. The plan seeks to disperse up to $300 billion a year from private and public investment. Quote, the COP27 presidency has long articulated our commitment to bringing together state and non-state actors to make progress on adaptation and resilience for the 4 billion people that live in the most climate vulnerable regions by 2030. The summit's president and Egypt's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Sameh Shukri, said in a statement. Carsten Brown, the Prime Minister of Antigua and Barbuda, told fellow leaders at the summit in the seaside resort of Sharm el-Sheikh Quote, it's about time that these companies are made to pay a global COP carbon tax on these profits as a source of funding for loss and damage. Quite well, they're profiting. The planet is burning, said Brown, who spoke on behalf of the 39-nation alliance of small island states, many of whose very existence is threatened by rising sea levels and increasingly intense tropical storms. Brown acknowledged that putting loss and damage on the agenda was just one step in the process, which gives a two-year space to negotiate. We look forward to the establishment and officialization of the fund by 2024. Just stop oil protesters have blocked part of the United Kingdom's busiest motorway for a second successive day, bringing rush hour to a standstill as they called for the government to act to tackle climate change. The campaign group said on Tuesday morning that 15 activists had climbed onto overhead gantries along the multiple parts of the M25, a main orbital road that encircles London. Activists taking part in Tuesday's protests, which came as world leaders were taking part in the COP27 climate conference in Egypt, said they were determined to force the UK government to adopt more drastic measures in response to the climate crisis. The protests came after police arrested dozens of Just Stop Oil activists on Monday for staging similar demonstrations along the M25. Officers accused the group of criminality, saying they had intended to cause massive disruption and pledged to bring those involved to justice as quickly as possible. Iranian President Ebrahim Raisi has addressed U.S. President Joe Biden, telling him Iran was freed more than four decades ago and is no longer under the control of U.S. hegemony. Quote, I was informed a few hours ago that the President of the United States uttered some words due to his distraction," He said that we, the U.S., are aiming to free Iran. President Raisi said, Iran was freed 43 years ago and is determined not to be occupied by you, and we will never be your milk cow, President Raisi said in response to Biden's comment.
1: A recent vote in the UN General Assembly of a resolution demanding the end of the U.S. blockade against the island. It was supported by 185 countries, and only the United States and Israel opposed it. On the thirtieth occasion that the United Nations voted overwhelmingly to condemn the blockade.
0: Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though the podcasts have not been updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to one p.m. at 15140 and from five p.m. to eleven at either six thousand sixty-sixty or sixty-one sixty-five. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon on Monday through Friday Pacific Standard Time. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like listeners in Utrecht, Netherlands, and Redway, California did this week. Many, many, many thanks. We will conclude with NHK World Radio Japan. New COVID cases are rising sharply in Japan. North Korea slammed South Korea for this week's joint military operations with the U.S., saying that it is preparation for invasion. Several Japanese corporations have begun trials at thermal power plants using ammonia, which does not emit carbon dioxide. NHK Japan
7: New coronavirus cases across Japan are on an uptrend, but the government says no new measures are planned for now. The country's top government spokesperson has confirmed no restrictions will be imposed in principle unless a strain more powerful than the Omicron variant
5: emerges. The basic stance is to take anti-infection measures while maintaining socio-economic activities without imposing new restrictions on activities.
7: Matsuno says he'll monitor the situation with a sense of urgency. The government's travel discount campaign aimed at boosting domestic tourism could be suspended in some places. Matsuno says each prefecture will decide whether to continue with the program. He says the government is closely watching the situation and will make decisions accordingly. Experts have warned a new wave of infections is looming. Japan confirmed over 87,000 new infections nationwide on Wednesday. Turning now to North Korea, where Pyongyang has slammed South Korea's annual military maneuvers, saying Seoul will pay a high price for the drills. The mostly computer-simulated Taeguk exercise is being held this week based on the scenario of a nuclear and missile threat from Pyongyang. North Korea denounced the drills in two commentaries posted Tuesday on the website of the Committee for the Peaceful Reunification of the Fatherland. They said even though the exercises are computer-simulated, the true aim is to complete preparations for an invasion of the North. South Korea and the United States have been conducting military maneuvers for four consecutive months. Last week, they held the largest joint air exercise in five years, stepping up pressure on Pyongyang. In response, North Korea also carried out military operations. Pyongyang said on Monday it had fired more than 80 ballistic missiles and other projectiles. South Korean forces are on alert for further provocations. Japan's defense ministry is slamming North Korea after it fired a ballistic missile on Wednesday afternoon. It's the latest in a series of launches over the past few weeks. Officials say the launch happened at 3.31 p.m. Japan time. The missile flew about 250 kilometers and reached a maximum altitude of 50 kilometers. It fell into waters outside Japan's exclusive economic zone. Japan's top government spokesperson strongly condemned the launch.
1: Japanese machinery maker IHI and electricity producer Jira have started trials at a thermal power plant in central Japan that mixes ammonia with coal. Ammonia does not emit carbon dioxide. Researchers hope the mixture can be readily adopted at existing plants. IHI is also testing power generation that uses only ammonia at a plant in Yokohama City, near Tokyo. The company managed to cut greenhouse gas emissions by almost 100 percent with simple modifications. The company hopes to put the technology into commercial use starting in fiscal
6: 2028.
7: It's necessary for companies with shared ideas to work together. We have to expand these kinds of cooperative efforts, not only with Japanese firms, but also with foreign companies.
1: NL's Holdings has also been developing artificial crude oil or synthetic fuel in Japan. It's made by synthesizing carbon dioxide and hydrogen. The Japanese government aims to put it into commercial use in the 2040s. 400 outlets of 7 and I Holdings rely only on renewable energy. That number is up tenfold from just over a year ago.
0: Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 8.30 to 9.00 p.m. at 9865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. They are also podcasts available at most sites. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show that's out. Farpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The Shortwave Report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The Shortwave Report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.